Hi, I'm Katherine Ellsworth-Kretz. I'm a social climate scientist, and I've helped raise millions of pounds for climate action and supported hundreds of volunteers to take part in making their community a more sustainable place. I want to share what I've learned and inspire others to be powerful climate change workers and catalysts. If you're also passionate about climate justice, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Joyful Climate Writing. Good morning. It's the beginning of spring, and this podcast episode is brought to you by the Dawn Chorus. <laughs> there is a blackbird outside my window who really likes to serenade the world at 6 a.m. And I remember him from last year. And I remember hating him a lot and cursing him and banging at the window and trying to get him to shut up and stop saying to the ladies. Uh, but I have a reframe this year. And that's to actually respect this little blackbird who's going to sing a song. He doesn't really care if he's waking a human up, many humans up. I live in a block of flats, so I'm not the only one who gets to hear him. And he's probably only going to be around for a couple of months. But right now, he has a lot to say. And so I'm going to seize that energy. and take it to record this podcast. I'm also thinking about it for other things that I want to share. I'm going to remember that little blackbird and not worry too much about what other people think (laughs) because I know I have a song that I want to sing. So maybe you might be hearing the dawn chorus right now and you might be loving it. I mean, I generally really like hearing all the birds come back. It's just sometimes when you don't get to bed very early and then you know he's gonna be there it's it's it can be hard but yeah so what I wanted to share is almost a return to some of the stuff about people pleasing and perfectionism and another sort of thought that I'm seeing for a lot of my clients but also I know I went through this that gets in the way of letting go of these patterns. And that is the thought or when you tell yourself it's too difficult. It's going to be really hard. Some version of that. And it's sort of like the thought, sorry, right? Or I should do this. Those are some words that you might just want to start paying attention to when you use them and see if there's a more useful reframe. So we often, especially people who are socialized as women, over-apologize. And that puts you somehow in the wrong when probably you didn't do anything wrong. Um, I know I'm guilty of this. I was really good at it for a while. And it seems to be slipping back into my vocabulary to just apologize a lot. 
um, you know, maybe pay attention to how often men apologize um, for some of the same things. Um, so it can kind of put you in a lesser than state. And one of my favorite ways to replace like sorry, or one of the ones that really helped me was, um, you know, if you're ever late or or you feel like maybe you're you're late to a meeting or to responding, it's not to be like, I'm so sorry about this. It's just to say like, thanks for your patience. Like you can acknowledge it, but it's, you know, it's a different thing. And then the word should is is the same, right? Like when you say, I should message this person, I should do the dishes. I should write that paper. Oh, that also just has a lot of kind of negative, like you've done something wrong. Why aren't you doing that? Um, you should do these things. And just looking for any shoulds in your life and trying out, I want to write that paper. I want to do the dishes. It feels so different. And if you can't say you want to do it, like, maybe you don't need to do it. Um, but I think the whole should to want reframe is really empowering. Because if you start telling yourself, like, I want to do the dishes, I actually start to think about, like, I do the dishes. Sometimes it can be really relaxing. Um, I don't know about you, but like, Sometimes doing the dishes can almost feel meditative. It's like your hands are busy. You might listen to something, but it's a time where, you know, you can't be expected to do all the other things. Like life can slow down in the moments that you're washing dishes. That can be nice. And also like I want to do dishes can me be thinking about, you know, showing my love and care for a partner or friends who come over and or family and have meals with me and like what a pleasure it is to share food with people you love and to be able to take care of them and doing the dishes is part of that process so when I tell myself that I want to do these things I'm already shifting the way I'm relating to those actions oh okay and that brings us to this example of this is going to be hard or it's too difficult and the kind of pattern interrupt that I find really useful and I've been reminded of a lot in the last week is to ask yourself is that true so one question you ask yourself is like does that thought serve me is it helping me get where I want to get if you want to be someone who writes papers and publishes a lot and uh, this is probably a little rant for other academics out there, but I'm sure it applies in other contexts. But in academia, there's often a feeling, and I think it's pretty accurate, that we're given an, an impossible job. Like, we are meant to teach and do a service role and contribute to the department or school or university. And we're also expected to do research and don't even get me started, there's the whole impact role and knowledge exchange too, but those are the three core areas. And when I think back to when I first became a lecturer, actually, all of that stuff, each one of those felt like it could be a nine to five job, if you were going to do a good job at it. And 
Part of that was because when I first started, I really wanted to prove myself. I was so excited. Like I loved that I got to teach people about sustainable development. I loved that I got to make committees and try to create new sustainability policies that would affect everyone or different departments at the institution. I love doing all of it. I didn't, I didn't mind that it, it was asking too much. I was like, I can work the evenings and the weekends because, yeah, I wanted to do a really good job in all those areas. I was so passionate about all of them. And it, it did break me. I totally burnt out. I don't think I've told the story in a huge amount of detail, but um, I'd been to Australia for a month and then I came like straight back with basically no break. And I was in Australia for research uh, as like a visiting scholar. And then I came back basically with no break for the start of term. And so I was like jet lagged. I was having nine to five back to back five minute meetings with students for getting them registered in their classes. And on the first day of term, when I went home, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I need a break. So my husband and I were going to go mountain biking. And the way that my mountain bike, the way we stored them, we have too many bikes. That bike has now been stolen. So I guess I don't have too many bikes now. But anyway, at the time to get four bikes into our little shed, we would uh, undo the handlebars, like loosen the handlebars and then straighten them. So like you had four kind of like pancake bikes without the handlebars um, going the other direction. And I was rushing and I didn't tighten my handlebars all the way. And they swiveled on me and I caught my balance and everything when I was going around this turn. But then I started to hit into my husband and I just, I just decided to fall, uh, because I didn't want to knock him over. I had this image from when I was a kid of someone hitting another bike and knocking the other person over. And I ended up landing on this really sharp curb and I came up, my wrist was hanging at an angle. And it was in, it was in a lot of pain, but I was also in a lot of denial. Like I kind of thought that, um, it was all okay because I needed to be back at work at nine to nine to five, another set of five minute back to back meetings. And I was all I could talk about until the doctor put me on morphine. Like he didn't, break the news to me until I was on morphine to be like, you are not going back to work anytime soon. And I was just, I couldn't stop talking about work and, um, being on morphine, having a fractured wrist and dislocated wrist and having to get a plate put in. So surgery, like I was in so much pain for weeks and weeks and I was pretty incapacitated. I actually hurt both hands. I couldn't I basically couldn't do anything for myself. I could hold a spoon and I did draw a line at being able to go to the bathroom on my own, even though it really hurt to like pull down my underwear and pull up my underwear. Like I couldn't do anything for myself. I couldn't tie the, my shoes. I couldn't open a door. I couldn't get out of the house. And I was exhausted as well from the surgery. And like just walking a block was tiring. Like I could walk a block from my house and I'm someone who, um, I was doing kettlebells three times a week. I was cycling to work two to three miles, um, most days, uh, each way and ran regularly. I was mountain biking, uh, rock climbing, hiking in the hills. Like I was someone who was very active and then I was knocked back to being able to walk about a block. 
And I'm sharing this just because I don't think it's a unique experience. Most of the academics I know do feel overworked or have gone through a sort of burnout and then had to do a reframe and realize that our job can get really big and there's not someone there helping us keep it small. In fact, because you have a director of teaching and a director of research and um, I guess a head of school asking you to you know, contribute to the department, you have different people putting pressure on you to do each of those things well. And so it can be hard to uh, push back on one of them and say, actually, I have too much committed here. So if you want me to do that, I'm going to have to drop something else somewhere else. And again, I'm sure this happens in other places, but I think academia is a, a funny one as well, because uh, at least when you're doing your PhD, a lot of what you're being trained is like to be your own thought leader and that like you and your ideas and your publications that they have to be the bee's knees. And it's not really about like being part of a team. <laughs> and so I think a lot of times when academics are then hired after that, they sort of expect a certain amount of autonomy and they think, oh, well, I can, you know, figure out how to do this job rather than, again, it being really about a team and like I'm a cog in this and this is my role and it's bounded and um, I'll have a regular touch in with my manager to know that I'm doing like enough, but also probably not too much. Like, um, my husband is, uh, it's not a civil servant, I don't know, public servant, something, but right. He works for government. And, um, I just feel like I hear a lot more of, uh, you know, take that time back in lieu. Like if he had to drive to get to a site, then it's like that's recognized as work time. And, um, you know, he'll, he's expected to then take that time off um, relatively sooner. Like I don't think he's meant to build it up for too long uh, versus I was told repeatedly, 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 repeatedly over and over, uh, definitely in my first few years uh, as an academic member of staff that, oh, you can do your research on the weekends and evenings. I wasn't told to not work on the weekends and evenings. I was encouraged to work on the evenings and weekends. And I'm not saying that was necessarily by my like line manager, but it's just the culture. Okay, sorry. So rant being paused. I'm going to circle this back. So I, I do understand that it can feel really hard to um, actually start to say, I can't do all of these things to the highest standard. I'm going to have to disappoint some people. I'm going to have to, if I want to be someone who teaches and does research, I might have to spend less time on the teaching and it just accept that like whatever that lecture is, it's the best I can do in X amount of time. Like we were also told, I think at the University of St. Andrews that we had three hours to prepare a lecture. Okay, preparing a one-hour lecture from scratch, like, I couldn't do that in three hours when I started. And again, I really was excited. I wanted to do a good job. I had so many ideas. I could spend days. I could spend, you know, 8 p.m. to 3 a.m. Um, the night before. 
because I was nervous because I wanted to prove myself. I didn't think I was enough. So I can see why it feels like it will take longer, but you can also just go, this is the best I can do in that amount of time. What is the best I can do in that amount of time? And what is having to feel some disappointment from others or the discomfort of that? What is that really worth? Like it can be quite short-lived compared to the satisfaction or joy of spending more time doing something that you really love. And if we're sticking with the academic example, say like publishing a paper that maybe influences an organization or leads to policy change, or even again, informs like the teaching you do and makes it even better and helps you learn and expand so you can be an even better teacher and more knowledgeable teacher for your students. Like, really, when you weigh these two things up, you tell yourself that something is too difficult. You might struggle with communicating boundaries at work because of a fear of disappointment and the discomfort that comes with that. But that's pretty small when you start to really look at it rather than I think that's the other thing that saying it's too difficult. It stops you from curiosity. It stops you in your tracks. It helps you procrastinate. But when you really look in the face, it's a small price. It's not too difficult. Like telling yourself that something is too difficult stops you from even starting and trying. So I just want people just like the shoulds and the sorries, when you say it's too difficult, I don't think I can do that. Just ask yourself, is that true? Like, just stop and wonder if there is a possibility that you can do that or that someone else might find that easy and get curious about how that might not be true because telling yourself self that something is too difficult. Yes, why I've gone on that rant about academia is to acknowledge. It might, in some ways, um, you're telling yourself that because you don't want to, like, overburden yourself. You're, um, like, that is a part of you that is being protective. It's saying, like, yeah, these are hard circumstances. Like, don't beat yourself up about it. This it could be really difficult. But in other ways, if you're wanting to make a change, then that part of you needs to be quieted. And I think last week I talked about paradoxes. Like, right, we can hold these paradoxes. That that can be great. Like, we can hold that, yeah, these are challenging circumstances. And I'm ready to try to make it different. So those questions of, like, is this true? Does this serve me? And open yourself up to curiosity and failure. I have episodes on failure. Go back and listen to them if you need to again. Like, those are much more useful places for you to approach a task. That's what, like, failure is how you grow. Being willing to try and do something different 
and accept the discomfort of it. So for this example, in relation to academia, say um, a lot of academics struggle with this. This is why I'm talking about it. Um, you find it hard to have time to do your research. And part of that might be um, having to communicate a boundary when you're writing. Maybe it's at the office or maybe it is you, you work from home and you have to make sure your email is off. You put a sign up. You even say to people, your colleagues, your family, whoever, this is a time that I cannot be disturbed. For this hour, once a day, three times a week, who knows, you get to decide, I am writing. And tell yourself it's too difficult to have that conversation. Ask yourself if that's true. If this is something you really value, is having a conversation actually too difficult? Is that really the barrier to you? So that's one part of it. And then the other one, and that I think relates to people pleasing, like feeling like you can't tell people about your own needs. And then there's the perfectionism one. Like, again, you might have to, and I guess it's also linked in with people pleasing, but like when it comes to students, like you might just have to recognize you might disappoint some of them because there's only so many hours in the day. And again, if our contract is like a third, a third, a third, or some of them are like 40% teaching, 40% research, 20% admin, right? Only 40% of your job is meant to be spent on teaching. But if you're spending 100% of it, like you are giving more than you're contracted to. And if you want to be doing more research, then something has to give. You need to be able to maybe accept that you don't get to spend as much time on teaching and just have a look at, again, managing some of those expectations, but also you being comfortable that somebody might not be to as high a standard. Other people might not even notice. Like that was the experience I had. I remember the second year I taught my uh, honors module on sustainable consumption and theories of change that I spent way, way, way less time because I'd I'd broken my wrist, I'd had this pause from the universe, and I had to reframe a lot of things. And one of them was just the amount of time I was going to spend at work. I wasn't going to work the evenings and weekends, and I was going to do research. Um, I did have it blocked out for like a day a week at that time, and oftentimes by the time I got to Friday, I was like, oops, I've already worked 40 hours, so guess I'm not doing research this week. Um, and in some ways, I think that did serve me. And I also let go of my own, the pressure I was putting on myself about research. But I noticed that I spent half or a third of the time. And yes, obviously, I'd learned and I'd created materials. But I really, really worked to spend the hours that um, I saw the university telling us to spend on a lecture. So again, like maybe three hours um, or even just like an hour preparation. And I didn't notice a huge difference in this difference in the student feedback. And so that was like I had to change the pressure I put on myself. Right. Um, you think everyone else notices. But is that true? OK, this has gotten to be one of my longer episodes. I didn't actually plan the rant. So I hope that helps some people and doesn't bore others. Um, my blackbird 
he's he's had everything he needed said said and it's now quiet outside my my window so perhaps i will go back to sleep no i'm just kidding he's he's got me up um but thank you for sharing with me and the dawn chorus and i hope that you are enjoying the other signs of spring like i am talk to you next week (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.